Sally Port, Inmates Unshackled Edition. I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And y'all been looking for us to have some guests. We told y'all at the beginning of our Bloody Angola podcast that we're going to bring you things you couldn't get anywhere else. And we did not disappoint today. So we're going to introduce Mr. Scott Huffman. How are you, sir? What's going on? Doing great. Well, Scott, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. And y'all... This is going to be uh, absolutely the inaugural episode, but I want you to know it's raw and unscripted. The Scott is an amazing person and has an amazing story to tell, and we're going to get into it. But the Inmates Unshackled series will be dropping uh, from time to time. A uh, couple times a, a month. A couple times a month under Bloody Angola Sally Port. Yes. And so this is an addition to – the your regular weekly Bloody Angola drop that you get, the Bloody Angola Sally, Sally Port edition of Bloody Angola will have different topics underneath. Yes. This one being the inaugural of Inmates Unshackled. Do you guests know what a Sally Port is? <laughs> we can tell them. I had a man trap, but, the, but uh, why don't you tell them for us? Yeah. Well, Sally Port uh, – they come in all different sizes and, and places, but it's typically uh, the little when you when you go into a facility, uh, there's a gate, and then you stop, and then there's another gate, and you've got to kind of, I guess, get the stamp of approval to pass through. Right. Uh, there's also with the ones with the door when you go in right. and stuff like that. So the and the Sally Porch, y'all, but uh, um, it's to control the flow of everything. So you open one gate inmates or COs or whoever goes through the gate shuts behind them and then they're either searched or pat first whatever if it, uh, if you're a CO going in they might search your lunchbox and pat you down to stop contraband or uh, then once you're clear they open the interior gate so it's a point of control of access basically for anything it could be from a bullpen to a sally port outside where vehicles come through with a gun tower over the top that's right. And you may be wondering, well, how would Scott know about a Sally Port? So, yes, this is y'all. You, you'll he's seen a few Sally Ports in his time, and mm-hmm. he has a what I would consider, uh, and I know what he agrees, an amazing story of fascinating. Yeah. So, Scott, we, we've kind of set you up here, teed you up, and just tell us, uh, tell everybody, the listeners, a little about you and who you uh, are, where you're in your experience with Sally Ports. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm Scott Huffman. I'm 37. Uh, this month I'll be 38. Happy birthday! Uh, thank Happy you, birthday. thank you. Um, I have I'm married um, for, for eight years, going on nine, uh, and I have four kids: three wow. boys, one girl. Um, and uh, I'm from Denham Springs. I grew up here. Go Jackets. Go Jackets. Uh, some parents, Denham Springs. I graduated high school here in 2003 by the skin of my teeth. Yeah, me too. I had a, a, a decent childhood. I uh, come from a Christian family, grew up in church. Uh, my mom and my biological father separated when I was about one years old. My dad um, uh, was a 
party animal. He was a drug addict, alcoholic. Right. Um, and I didn't really have uh, a relationship with him growing up. And, and then when I was allowed, permitted to see him by my mom, it was always chaos and I was exposed to right. so much craziness. Uh but I will say my dad's doing okay today. It took That's him 50 good. years, but he's doing good. Shout out, now. shout out, shout out to dad. Right. But uh, no, I, 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 my mom and my stepdad, Mike, Mike came into my life when I was six, and uh, he was in Desert Storm, oh. and um, he, uh, you know how he, you know how he won me over, which oh. was really a twofold trick for him. Uh, he brought me a Nintendo game. Really? In exchange that I would sit in front of that TV so he can go hang out with my mom. Uh, <laughs> the babysitter. I thought yeah. I was the only one that knew yeah, that trick. Man. <laughs> I call him Stormtrooper. Yeah. Uh, I said, old Stormtrooper pulled a trick on me. But, uh, no, nah, Mike, uh, he's he's been a solid guy in my life uh, forever. And um, so, you know, like I said, I was, I was raised in a good Christian home. Uh, we were, you know, in church. Monday, I mean, uh, Wednesdays and Sundays, and uh, I knew right from wrong, and I was involved in youth and yada, 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 but I was a chubby kid, and uh, as a result, uh, there was a lot of insecurities, and I acted out, and uh, I had ADHD, and so school... Probably before they even diagnosed I was right? just thinking that. Because I, I, I had the same shit. Yeah, well, teachers at the time didn't have as much information. Right. And this is why I'm such an advocate for my kids. Right. Uh, without going into a whole bunch of detail. Like, uh, you know, I had a lot of behavioral issues. Yeah. Me and it too. wasn't because I was a bad kid. Me too. I couldn't sit still. Right. I wanted attention. Right. I was class clown. Right. Uh, and... and, and Teachers at the time didn't have as much information right. on ADHD. Mind you, I, I had just hit the beginning of the ADHD era with medicine. So they sent me to a doctor, and I was like a guinea pig. I've been on every ADHD medicine known right. to man, and right. they were trying them and trying them and trying them to see what worked for me. Um, My issue was they didn't, they didn't have the mm -hmm. title ADHD. You were just a bad was kid. Just a bad, bad kid, I was yeah. the badass. Right. right. They were going to whip that ass. Oh, I, I, <laughs> listen to this. My parents made my teachers a paddle with my name on it. That's back when we get wow. paddled in the class in front of the kids. Yeah. yeah so I get it. Yeah. So uh, long story short, um, a lot of teachers didn't really know what to do with me. They liked me, but I was a pain in the ass to them. And um, and uh, But I will say that looking back, I do think that uh, – some insecurities that I developed uh, was as a result of constantly feeling like I was a bad kid, uh, I was a problem child, uh, yeah. just always the, felt kind of yeah, the yeah. bite sheet, and uh, and and not to say that it was unwarranted. They just didn't know what to do right, with me. Right. Um, and I'm glad that there's more information and more programs out for kids like me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so fast forward to high school, played ball, played football. Uh, you pretty um, big stout fella. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> probably uh, you know I was hitting puberty. Right. Uh, started chasing girls, started going to parties, wanted to hang out with older kids, drinking and wound up drugging and quit football my 11th grade year. Um, and like I told you earlier, I, I, I flew by the skin of my teeth graduating. Actually, you know Jason St. Pierre? Yep. I know the name. Principal at Walker High? Okay. Yep. The only reason I graduated. He will tell you today when he introduces me to people, he says, hey, this is Scott Huffman. He was my Saturday detention foreman. <laughs> I used to go You're out and party. Crew, right? yeah, yeah, I used to go out and party and then park in the dr parking lot at the high school, and he would have to wake me up. Right. I was hungover, but I ran detention. Right, right, right. Um, but he was a man that cared. He right. would call me in his office, check on me, talk to me. He knew we were in, my parents were in church, and, right. hey, you know right from wrong. You know, and he's a Christian man. So, uh, anyways, uh, I, uh, I started – Started dabbling in drugs in high school, and um, that was my release. Right. And uh, I did. I was so insecure with myself, like self medicating, self medicating, right. and um, my grades dropped tremendously. The only thing I did good in was this program, was a CNA class, certified nursing assistant. I went in because I was going to be the only guy. <laughs> I get it. I was there for women. Shoot fish in the barrel. Same reason yeah. I took home ec. Yeah. yeah. And so, but <laughs> oddly enough, I wound up doing great. Yeah. I made an A in the class. My teachers, my teach, my nursing teacher was like, 
you Scott, please go be a nurse. Right. It's like, you know, I can be a nurse. Mm. So anyways, uh, graduated high school, 2003. Um, I was trying to figure out what I was doing. Now at the time I started selling drugs. Right. Um, and I was, I knew that I needed to do something different with my life. Um, I, uh, I wound up doing two things. Uh, I was enrolled in uh, Delta Community College to go be in there. Anyways, long story short, I got a, I got a DWI. I wasn't able to do the nursing program because right, of it. Right. Then I tried to go to the military, which I was supposed to go, and I wound up. Uh, my my girlfriend got pregnant, and uh, the last minute, I uh, I was so addicted to the streets that I made up an excuse why I couldn't go. Right. I went through MEPS, got my score, right. was going to be a hospital marine corpsman, yada yada yada, and uh, and I and I ruined that for myself. Right. I wish I, I always to this day. I mean, I respect the military, man. I, I love military people. Right. Uh, I think we need to take better care of our military. I, I, Amen. No veterans should ever be homeless or or, or ill or whatever. Right? No, so I fully and, and and I always look back. I wish I'd have went to the military. But you know what? They uh, it wasn't your time, bro. Exactly. Right. And um, so uh, shortly after, had I'm gonna tell you this: had I gone to the military the date that I was supposed to go to boot camp, two weeks later I got my door kicked in in Baton Rouge on O'Neill Lane. Kicked in my door, caught me with some pounds, and um, and arrested me. Pounds of weed. Yeah, but his his doors kicked in. I'm, I'm assuming you mean by like yeah. the men in black, right? Swat. Yeah, it wasn't no, the pizza boy. Yeah, it, no, it, <laughs> it and I can tell you this: uh, I'll never forget this image, and uh, it it dealt with me for a long time. I was hard, I actually had just went to the hospital the day before. I had a big old staph infection on my knee, so I was on crutches. Mm-hmm. Now, Gavin was was newly born, and um, I um, was changing his diaper. It's eight o'clock in the morning, and uh, so I hear a thump. I thought Candace, which is Gavin's mom, oldest boy, thought she fell down upstairs. And I'm as soon as I can say, "Hey, are you okay?" Both the front and the back door, same time. These guys come in, they're dressed in army fatigues, right. rifles, flashlights right. on them. Right. Get on, get on now. Now, I don't know what get, made me want to do that, but like, I, I wouldn't give them my kids. So I went to the ground and I'm holding Gavin. They're like, give them, and they're cursing me, like, right. you piece right. of shit. Da, da, da. Natural protective instinct. Yeah, and, and so I, I held him, and uh, all I can, everything was kind of blurred, but I just kept hearing him say, give me the boy, give me the boy. So f- eventually I gave him to him. God protected my son in that situation because typically when the police kick in your door, they take your kid. Mm-hmm. And she and I were both in the apartment. They let my mom come get him, you know. And I'm truly to this day, I'm thankful for that because that could have been a whole nother nightmare. Right. They called us, yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. and I, th- I think, number one, I think that was your paternal instinct is why you were holding Yeah. You know, uh, it wasn't. I'm going to hold him because you're not going to mess with me. You know, it was more, I've got to protect my kid. Right. From the old SWAT guy side, you holding the kid, they, so they have to assume the worst about everybody. Right. They, they they don't know if you're holding a weapon underneath. Yeah. Obviously at the point they kicked open your door and you've got pounds of weed in there, there, you were obviously selling at a, pretty high right oh yeah so, i mean if they kicked in the door the day before it i've really been screwed yeah, <laughs> yeah this drug selling yeah. thing yeah. ain't for me yeah. the first time i no, buy weed mean, yeah. <laughs> the day before he got yeah. rid of stuff yeah, like, like, i more had, pounds. Just, I had right. just got a load in so let let me reverse back a little bit and and you know there's a time you, you get out of high school you think about joining the military all those things mm-hmm. uh shit happened and and that didn't happen for you but at some point, you be, before that door kicking in, you had bec- went from doing drugs to selling drugs. T- give me like the the short play by play on that. Do you recall? You know, one day you went out and you sold some weed, and, and you're like, "Shit, I just made you know how some good started? profit." I started selling my Concerta, which is a ADHD medicine at school. To okay, the, to this little dude, 
And, uh, I mean, he was paying me like $5 a pill. So you were acting like you were taking it, but you were really selling it. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) conservative basically is is legal methamphetamine. Yeah, exactly. So what I would do is that, and I would only serve him once a week because I'd have to save up. So I'd put him in my pocket, go put him in a sock in my room so my mom didn't find him. And (laughs) this medicine ain't working at all. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, I, I would save up for a week. And then I would go to school and I would give him like, I don't know, 20, 25, whatever I had for, for I would take two a day, I think maybe. And, uh, you know, for a young high school student needing beer money, yeah, that was, that was a nice a, little, that's that a contribution. Right. Then when I started smoking weed, you start, you know, your, your habit develops and you go from smoking, you know, uh, at the time it was swag. So you're smoking little dime bags here and there. And then you're smoking a quarter a week and a half hour. Well, for a young man without a whole lot of money at the time, that adds up. So when I started getting an ounce, breaking it down, selling my pot in a sack, this guy's sack, I'm making a couple bucks and I'm smoking free. Hey, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. 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 So I said, well, this this makes sense. This is what I need to do in my head. This is the right thing to do. Right. Uh, So from there, I just, I'm a people person as it is. So whenever I started, whenever people started finding out that well, Scott can get weed, and I'm not going to jack them, right, right, unless right, you're a piece right, of crap, right. But I'm not going to jack you for the most part. And affordable rates, I was a decent drug dealer, and uh, <laughs> so you know you get the word out. Anyways, people started calling me. Yeah. Well, then remember I said I was insecure. The attention that selling drugs gives you is a whole different addiction. You know, the uh, money, the power, the, the that was also an addiction, you know, and people don't often talk about that, but people needed me. I liked the the title right. and I liked the money right. and I liked doing drugs for free at the time. All that coupled, that's an addiction in and of itself. Not, you know, taking out the, the substance abuse component of it, the drug dealing, the that's, middle, there's the a middle. reason why guys go to prison and come back and sell dope again at a large quantity. Right. Even though they got busted with six keys or however many, they go back to you like, why? They're addicted to They're the They're addicted attention. to the hustle. The, the mental power. There's yeah. a danger involved in it. There's money. There's being at the, the privilege of you see guys that have businesses and you're like, they play golf or mm-hmm. they go hunting for right. six months or whatever. Wow. I wish I could do that. Well, as a drug dealer, you can do that. Right. There's yeah. no, you don't have a certain time that you got to wake up and be at work, right? Unless you're, unless you're the guy that's breaking it down and nickel and dime, and then you got to be, you know, on the block. But other than that, if you're bringing in weight, you 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 move. People move when you tell them, right? Hey, it's in. Come get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's a that's a that's a that's a pleasurable lifestyle, and um, so I got addicted to that, and without going into a whole bunch of detail, like uh, you know. After my door got kicked in, most a normal person, whatever the definition of normal would say, I'm hanging it up here. This is it. I've learned my lesson. I didn't. I cranked it up ten times. Right. And I, I got further into it. Uh and this was after your door yeah. got kicked in? Okay. Yeah. So you your door got kicked in. You obviously, obviously took you to jail. Yeah. So you I made bond. I made bond. And um I uh I wound up hiring uh old Frank Ferreira. That's my Frank. boy, Frank the Tank. <laughs> hey, Frank, I, I've known Frank for hey, 20 plus years. Let me years. tell you something about Frank. Frank looked out for me, man. Yeah. He's a good dude. Uh, I'll ride with Frank to the to the wheels fall off. He took care of me uh, in more ways than one. But So I, got, I went to court for probably like a year and a half on the uh, distribution charge. Got probation. I still continued to do what I was doing, and, and I just – was, it was that feeling that yeah, that. Dude, you know, at the time, kind of the opioid epidemic was popping off, and and pain pills and Xanax and and stuff were kicking off, and uh, and I got into that too, and 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 quantity, and uh, there was a lot of money in it, and at the time, I didn't know about addiction though. I'm gonna tell you, the kids today have a little bit better. When we started using opiates, I did the when I started using opiates. Not only selling, but using them just because I had so many. I didn't know that you could get addicted. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was right. a withdrawal. A physical addiction. A physical right. addiction. So one, I was taking them here and there, and then I was taking them you know, on a regular basis, one or two a day, however many. And one day I didn't have them. 
you get but sick. I didn't know that I was dope sick. I, I just thought right. I was flu. Right. So, man, I feel like shit. So I'm riding with my buddy. He says, uh, and I'm telling him, man, I don't feel good. I'm describing my symptoms. He's like, when's the last time you took a pill? And I said, yesterday. He's like, here, eat this. Tell me if you feel better. Yeah. I did. Went yeah. away. Dope sick. That's when I knew. I was like, Wow. And and, and yeah, that, the signal went off in your head at that yeah. point. But yeah. by that point, the opiate had already grabbed me. Right, right, right. So no, then, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're gonna get sick if you didn't take it. Yeah. So you know, um, what comes with the, the that lifestyle is drugging and and hustling and you know uh, money and and all that stuff and 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 I got enamored with it. And it took it took control. Every bad thing, every bad decision that I made that you know, because I, I got the distribution charge while on probation. I got you know two more DWIs. I got a um, pistol charge. I got uh, a your second. life was just yeah. I was unmanageable. Yeah, just making one bad decision after the next. And you know how people say, if I would have listened to my mom, mm-hmm. if I would have listened to my mom. <laughs> like almost literally every time I've ever been arrested, my mom is right before or up until that point trying to get me to slow down because she knew what what was going on. She hated it, and um, and I would always get arrested and go to jail. And um, so, and you know the the thing about the the justice system is like, and this is a, a true, and, and I know that you know this, Woody. Like if you've got money. You can buy your way out for so long, right? right. Even though I was on probation, um, I was always able to pay enough money and get my hold lifted. Right. Or if you've got charges in separate parishes, right. you can kind of work that system. And I did that until I couldn't do that no more. Yeah. So while I was on probation, I got the DWIs. I got um, a pistol charge. I got a second-degree battery charge. I've got – I had a, a fraud by CDS. Um and then I got, I was detoxing in jail and wound up catching like 12 battery on a correctional officer charges. I don't remember any of it. Right. You know, they had me in an isolation cell for 40 days. I was losing my mind. Right. All that saying, I guess the judges, rightfully so. Called up. I'm not so. one of these people who says, oh, I was unjustly in court. No, I was an asshole. I went to prison right. for a reason. And, uh, you know, they got tired of seeing me. Right. So then they sent me, and I was still fighting charges. I went in and I didn't know how long I was going to do. I went in thinking that uh, I would be out in a year, and I wound up staying almost five. Wow! How old were you at that point? Uh, I was uh, twenty-three when I went in. I didn't say this either. Sometimes I have a hard time talking about this, but um, I got charged with a hate crime, and uh, I was living in condos on Corporate Boulevard in Baton Rouge. And uh, I went out to the station, which is a nightclub. I never saw. Been there before. Yeah. <laughs> Been there before. Yeah, well, I love before, before you graduated high school. So I came home. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm going to paint this picture for you just to kind of show you. Um, you know, I was living like I was, like a hoodlum. And um, I, this night, I was. I had a Dodge Charger with 24-inch rims on it. This is when Chargers That's came a out. Cop magnet. Yeah, you're getting <laughs> stopped for dope. Yeah. <laughs> so look, this is uh, this is in the the height of Lil Boosie's career. Yeah. Right. And he's rapping about Chargers. Well, of course, I had to go get one. Mm-hmm. Got one, decked it out. So I pull up 2:30 in the morning, coming home, and you have to you have a key to get in the gate. This is at the reserve at Cedar Lodge on Corporate. Mm-hmm. And so the, I forgot my key, my clicker, whatever. There's a, there's a black guy standing outside. And uh, I said, hey, man, I live in – I forget what the number was, but I, I live here. Can you click up? Well, he starts cursing me out. So at the time, I'm on steroids, uh, drinking. I probably was on a drug. I don't remember. Anyways, long story short, he wound up mouthing off to me, so I got out. And uh, I was wrong. I, 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 I beat him up. In the midst of the fight, I, I and at the time I, I used the, uh, a word that I shouldn't have used, right. but not in a racial slur with A on the end because right. I said it all right. the time. Right. Everybody I mess with, white or black, we all said right. it. Uh, not making it right, just right. painting a picture. So um, that happened. Whatever, I, I go home. 
uh, I get interviewed by, they have a BRPD guy that lives in the condos, right? And he asked me about it. I was on probation, so I was trying to avoid going to jail. Mm -hmm. So I painted a picture because my little brother, who was 17 at the time, was with me. And and he shouldn't have been in the station, but he was in the station. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was with me, and I, and I told, we came up with a story, like, hey, you're 17, you're not going to get in trouble. Right. We'll say dude came at you, da-da-da. So I made up a lie. Right. And I said that the dude attacked my little brother, blah, blah, blah. So the cop was, okay. So a month later, I'm going about my business, doing my thing, and my mom calls because I had my probation in Livingston Parish. I didn't want them to know where I lived in Baton Rouge. Right. So I lived with my mom on right, paper. Gotcha. <clears throat> so my mom calls me and says the detectives show up to my house, and uh, they, they they wanted to talk to me about an incident. So I was trying to write, I forgot about the situation, actually. Mm -hmm. So she's like, and I thought to my house, instantly I was like, oh, I'm going to jail. So I tell my mom, I said, Mom, if I come talk to them people, I'm going to jail. She's like, no, 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 they were nice. They just want to talk to you. I said, hey, I'm exactly. going to jail. They're not going to come over and she say. She said, no, I'm telling you, they just want to talk to you. I said, mom, listen yeah. to me. <laughs> I'm going to I'm jail. I'm on paper. Right. I'm going to jail. She's like, please, just uh. So I got as high as I could get. Mm. <laughs> and I drove from Baton Rouge all the way to my mom's house on Amy Baptist Church Road. Yeah. Parked my little car. And then she drives me across the bridge, Magnolia Beach Bridge. And we meet at the Shell Station. And uh, they did exactly what I knew they would. They drew down on me, get out of the car. Da -da. They had, they had a all in front of, yeah, yeah, all in front of my mom. Right. So then I felt like an extra double piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, so they bring me down. Now, this is where the story gets crazy. They brought me for questioning, and not one time the whole time did I ever think that I was going to be charged with a hate crime. Last thing in the world I would have imagined. And anybody who knew me at that time was like, what? Right. So they questioned me. I told them the story that I told y'all a while ago. So I come out that they is on Prescott. So they bring me out, and there's news channels. I'm like, oh, my God. Now, at the time is when the little faux hawk style was in. Mm -hmm. I didn't have it done. I was in a wife beater. Right. Uh. Anyways. Played you like the area. Played me, right. right. So no not knowing context and who whatever, you would see me. I had the little faux hawk, which looks like a mohawk. And and the wife beaters so, so I didn't it's, it's still at this time, because I was high too. I didn't it didn't <laughs> all I got high. right. <laughs> it didn't all register. Like I still didn't know the magnitude. So boom, they bring me down to East Baton Rouge Parish Prison. Now, you know the dynamics there, yeah. the ratio, right? right? Like, like 90 to 10%. Or, yeah. yeah. The black and white ratio there is kind of offset. Yeah. Um, so they put me in central booking. I'm done passed out in there, sleeping on a jumper. And mind you, there's like 40 guys in the cell. So this, this, this lady's over there hooping and hollering. Now, this time I'm detoxing. Well, I'm coming down. Right. And I did not want to be messed with. Didn't want to hear no loud screaming woman. And I think I said, "Shut the fuck up." Or I said something to her, and she's like, "Oh, y'all gonna let the white boy with the hate crime talk to me like that?" Oh, shit. And I and it, I thought about it. And I said, "What'd she say?" Oh, white boy with the hate shit. Crime. So then I'm looking around. They're like, and a couple do. Oh, you the white boy that's on TV? Oh. I'm like, white boy that's on TV. And my first response is, "Yeah, y'all got the wrong guy." Right. Because I didn't know I was charged with hate crime. They didn't tell me that. Right. So as the word starts spreading around, now now I'm on full alert because I'm about to fight. Right. I'm about to fight this guy, that guy, because dudes are talking crazy. And, like, in that parish prison, if you're weak, you're screwed. Right. So, I mean, like, as, as bad as I didn't want to be jumped, there was just nothing that I could do about it, right? The only thing that I got into one little fight in that holding tank, nobody else really messed with me. Now, here is the crazy thing. They finally called me to go to the back like two days later. So I sat in Central Booking for like three days. So I'm nervous, though. Now, you can be as hard as you want to be. <laughs> I can beat my chest like a king. Uh, but there's a certain fear that a man has whenever you go to a line where you know you're about to get just waxed. So weird. Walking down the line, I'm walking down the tier to get to the pond that I'm going in. Um, the news is on. 
I'm on the news. Everybody in the thing's looking at me. Oh, yeah. And I can just hear the conversation. That's the one. And I'm like, crap. So I can see guys. You can see into the. I see guys putting stuff in the laundry sacks, socks, swinging. Rolling it up. And if for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, like in prison, weapons. Especially in the parish prison, you can put three or four bars of, bars of Bob Barker soap. Yeah. Which are like bricks, and you can really do some. I've seen some guys get tore up like that. So I'm just in my head, like planning my death. Like, dude, they're gonna kill me. But I also, this may sound stupid, but like, I was of the mind, like, you can't check out, like, don't check off the line, because then you're really screwed. Right. Then the work gets around. Oh, you're a pussy. Right. You're, you're a weak. bitch. You're weak. Yeah, you're weak. So, anyways, I wound up going in. The first thing that I did, I just dropped my back because dudes started coming around me. I said, y'all are going to listen to my side of the story. I said that what they're saying on news isn't right. So I started explaining, well, this is a God thing. So I heard I heard somebody say my name. Say, Scott. And it was a familiar voice. But I couldn't see because my partner's really short. And they got all these guys sitting around. So then uh, I see the head coming through the little crowd and – Dude, start back, and I'm and I saw I'm like he's like man it's trail so I look at him this is a guy that I dealt with on the street right. so and he's like uh he's like man that white boy's the truth anybody mess with him you gonna have to mess with me or I forget he said something similar to that right. when I talk about my my heart went from my asshole back to where it was supposed right, to be right. it's like thank God and literally this is a little guy like he's not some you know, right. huge. Nobody messed with me for the rest of my time in there. Yeah. He must have been like the shot caller. Yeah. I mean, he was, I don't know if he was, but like he had enough respect where dudes like take his word. Like he's not like that. Yeah. So went to court for that for two years. Now I was already sitting in prison for the stuff in Livingston. All the stuff you're on paper for. Right. And, um, and, um, wound up going back. Anyways, long story short, they reduced it to a second degree battery because the story that the guy painted was three different stories. First, he said we pulled up in trucks with rebel flags. Mm. Then he said some other stuff, and I'm I'm like, no, no. I was like, I was driving a Dodge Charger right. with twenty fours, right. with three twelves in the back. Right. Like that wasn't how it happened. I shouldn't have said the word that I said because he doesn't know me. He doesn't know how I'm living. Right. And to him, he was a Southern University law student. Right. Parents of big shots in Shreveport or Bossier or some of that. So. I get it. I'm not, I have no ill hate. Like, I made a mistake, made a bad decision, and I reaped the consequences for it. They wanted to give me 30 years. Ooh. That was a tough pill to swallow because that's originally what I thought I was going into. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out how in the hell am I about to do 30 years in prison? That's why I feel so bad for the guys that I have come on my podcast because take Sherm, for example. 20 years for marijuana. Yeah. It's a long stint. You know, it's, it's so, going to be legal everywhere in five years anyway. I know. But anyway, so that's the – so while I was in prison, though, I wound up going to uh, – I, I wound up getting into a, a fight at uh, – Which prison did you go to? Well, I was – up first it was uh, Livingston, Baton Rouge, Catahoula, Rivers, which is Concordia. When I was in Concordia on Christmas Day in like 2009 or 2010, a dude, um, I wound up getting into, I let a guy borrow my cell phone and he didn't want to give it back. Well, that's automatic grounds for getting right. asked. Yeah. So you had a cell phone in prison? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had one for like a whole yeah, year. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and just me being honest, uh, oftentimes the the people who are incarcerated get the the burn end of the stick whenever they find a bunch of phones, but there's only one way to get them in. Yeah, the CS ring. Yeah, well, yeah. you're paying a guy nine dollars an hour, and you offer him one hundred fifty dollars exactly. to bring ten phones in. What right. you think he's gonna do? Exactly, all day long. So, anyways, yeah, I had a phone uh, for for a while, and you know, I was cautious with it, and I, I was one of maybe three white guys in a ninety man dorm, so I often to keep from getting ratted on, would let people use my right. phone. I was generous with it. Right. 
Well, one, I've been living in this dorm with this guy for a year. And he come and ask me, hey, man, I want to call my kids, man. You mind if I borrow from I said, here. I didn't even think twice. Here. Let him use it for 45 minutes. Yeah. I go to get it back. He said, man, go get you something to work with. <laughs> now, this is the weekend holiday. All of our knives are buried on the yard. Right. I have nothing. Right. Nothing but my hand. So I went and got the damn broomstick that, you know, the ones you spin off from the uh, push broom. Yeah, yeah. Got that. He's got a damn sword, though. And he's got it wrapped in a towel around his arm like Wolverine. Right, so he won't drop it. It's a, it was a sharpened down mop ring. Yeah. So all I could think of is this guy sticking this thing in me. But, and like I said earlier, you can't back down right. because your life is miserable right. after that. And I had a lot more years left. And everybody's watching. Every The whole dorm was right. watching. We sat there for an hour talking shit on the back. They called it I 10. It was just the right. back aisle. Right. And uh, so. And I kept telling him, I said, listen, you got a knife. You come at me. I said, but if you do, I'm gonna I'm I'm going upside your head. And I was gonna try to kill him. Right. But I yeah, mean he had a knife. So anyways, nothing happened then. So I said, but he and I can't live together anymore. I'm not going and checking out. Yeah, shit, you won't go to sleep. But so so they called for chow an hour later. So I said, I'm planning my attack. So I was the first one in the child hall, and I'm sitting down. I'm eating my little. This is the good dinner too. Right, so yeah. luckily, he was an idiot and was last in line. So I had enough time to eat my food. I even ate an extra <laughs> the, piece of the holiday. Meal, yeah, right? I even ate an extra piece of chicken and some cranberry sauce. There you go. <laughs> so he comes in. Now he's ballsy. He sits with his back facing towards me, and he's uh, at the very front of the child hall. So I finished my plate, and I just told my partner, I said, I'm out. <laughs> and uh, I went over there, dumped my plate, and I just teed off on him. And I beat his ass. And um, they drug me out. They put me in isolation. So so this is how the guards work. I, I don't know if he was friends with these guards, but they almost let him back into a cell with me. They tried to mace me when they opened up, and I saw he was coming. I jumped up and went to swinging, and they were threatening to tase and mace me for them letting this guy in my cell. Right. Now, what if he just still had that knife? Uh, they, if they if they mace you, then you won't be able to see anyway. He gets uh, attacked. Yeah, and free. so like it, it was just a. Uh, it was. I would tell you, he might have paid him off. Yeah, that was a scary day. situation because at that point, like I'm like I'm in this lockdown cell and I have no control. Right. I don't have any defense other than my hands, but if he's got a a, a knife, what am I going to do? Right. So another God thing. I'm going to tell you, God protected me throughout my whole incarceration, but right. they called me at 2 o'clock in the morning, Huffman, pack your shit. I'm like, damn, where am I going? Are you going to stay, you're going to state prison. And I was actually like, damn, yes. Right. Everybody wants to go to right, state right, prison. Right. You're in these satellite camps since right. damn gladiator school. Right. So I go to... Hunts, mm. sat in the Beavers for a couple months, and then um, then I go to to, to Rayburn Correctional. And so for everybody that doesn't know, they're listening. Everybody goes through Hunts. Yeah, uh, to HRDC, right? HRDC, and then they they'll, they'll classify you and ship you uh, wherever they feel fit. Yeah. So they sent me. I got a funny story with it. They sent me to Rayburn Correctional Center, which is in Angie, Louisiana, Washington Parish. So uh, it was me, probably 14 or 16 black guys, um, another white guy, and like an Asian or Mexican or something like that. So they shackle you to do to your race. So it's me and Damon, and we're, we're shackled to each other, and I, and I get off the bus uh, at Rayburn. We pull up. There's an old, old, skinny white man with a cowboy hat. Dip. I mean, he's typical what you would envision for the area. Right. So he's chewing. So I, I get about, you know, I'll, me and Damon walk out. We're walking. He says, hey, white boy. <laughs> well, there's only two of us. Yeah. So we both look back. <laughs> <laughs> he said, hey, white boy, you will walk like a white man at Rayburn Correction or you will be written up. So me yeah. and Damon look at you. Oh, we're fucked. Yeah. What are we, I mean, like how... How, what are we doing that's not? I mean, we're shackled. Right. How else am I supposed to walk? Right, yeah. Guess he thought my limp was a little too heavy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Anyways, so I get in the dorm and I call my mom when I could. And I said, Mom, they sent me here and uh, they're telling me if I don't walk like a white man, they're going to write me up. She's like, 
well, how are you supposed to walk? I said, I'm going to figure it out. I'll yeah, let you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. I'll tell you, that was the biggest blessing of my life. That place is ran like a college campus, and I and I got to give a huge shout-out to Warden Wayne Cook and his wife, Andy Cook. She's no longer with us. She passed away from cancer. But they uh, – Dr. Wayne Cook. So that dude turned that facility into a, a college campus. I mean, and, and I uh, while I was there, I lived with 10 deaf guys, and I learned mm-hmm. sign language. Right. And uh, they actually made me the interpreter for the prison. So that was my job. And how long How long did it take you to learn sign language? So for me, I picked it up pretty quick, and, and the reason being I was, A, addicted to it because right. I'm ADHD. Right, so right. if I'm diving it's in, I'm diving in. in. All, all in. B, I was fully immersed. So Warden Cook wound up, when he saw that I took interest in seeing me hanging around with the deaf guys, he put me in a dormitory with him. So I was so you got 24/7. immersed 24-7. Like, so. Living in Mexico, in Mexico yeah, City, yeah, speaking and, Spanish, you, you, yeah, you're, you're gonna pick it up, right? So I did, and I became really fluent, and um, and um, so you know, like I said, they they put me as the interpreter, and so I just I went wherever they needed me to interpret. I was there, uh, and my biggest reason uh, to learn sign language in the beginning uh, was because I saw the deaf guys, and they weren't really involved in any programs at the time. They weren't going to church, right. and it's because they didn't have access right. to the language right. in the Department of Corrections. There's a lousy, lousy job of providing communication access to deaf people in prison. Yeah, can, Still can, to this day. I can only imagine. Yeah, and yeah. that's for another conversation. Right. But Jimmy LeBlanc don't really yeah. care for me because uh, well. I've had some people on their ass. But anyways, um, so I learned sign language. Uh, actually, while I was there, I got some 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 credentials for sign language, for interpreting while I was there mm-hmm. that helped me when I came home. But I got a two-year welding degree. I was in uh, in the associate's degree program through River Parish Community College. I took every self help program that the prison had to offer. Right, so you, you made the best of your time. Yeah, you, you did your time. You didn't let your time. Well, I had a I had a I had a realization, uh, and I told y'all earlier. I grew up in church, so I knew right from wrong. Right. And uh, I went back to church one night when I first got because they have a whole separate church building there. And uh, I kind of rededicated my life back to God, and I said, you know what? I don't want to live like this no more. You see these guys, they're 60, 70, 80 years old. They've been in and out all their lives. That's, that's all they're institutionalized all they know. Right? And I could just see myself mm-hmm. or didn't want to see right. myself be them. And I said, you know what? All the f- fun that I thought I had, all the money that I was making, all the things that I, I, I held dear to the streets— Shit sucks. It's not a sustainable lifestyle, bro. No. Hey, you're going to hell it's or only, jail. Yeah, it's a matter of time. Hell or jail. Right? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do, do this thing differently. So I, like I said, I plugged into all those educational opportunities and uh, just really focused on changing my life. Yeah. But, you know, that's it's, it's so huge, bro, because, the, uh, you know, most prisons, as you know, or if, if you don't do what you did, and it's, it's a college in a different way. Yeah. It's a finishing school for criminality. Absolutely. Right? And, and so you were smart enough, uh, and, and you did your time, and you made the most of it. That's, That's why these programs, you know, you'll you'll hear people a lot of times say, well, you know, you can go get a degree for free in prison, or you can do this or that in prison. And, yes, you, you know, they do have opportunity there, yeah. but this is why, folks, okay? Yeah. And I'm going to use Scott as a – example of this let's say hypothetically there he didn't pick up sign language he did not uh get his welding certification all these sort of things when he got out okay because he he wasn't in there for life he knew that he was in there a long time but not for life uh when he got out there's only one way he knew to really make money and and that was the hustle right and selling selling dope and things like that because he had this education behind him, at least he had a shot of something he was good at and he could apply. And that's why I feel like programs in prison are important. Even if you're a, a lifer, it gives you some sort of hope. Hope. That's exactly what I was waiting to say. Hope. And and so it's love. Yeah, it really is. So what did you what did you do, Scott, when you when you got back out? Okay, let's take me through that. You you finally get released. Take I, me through that day. I got released early. Uh, 
and um, you know, my out date was several years past what I was actually so. Uh, while I was in there, there was a law that changed that allowed violent offenders to get uh, 365 days good time. Huh. Prior to that, I didn't have an opportunity to get good time. And yeah. I imagine, yeah, you weren't getting rid up and shit when you were doing no all this towards stuff. the end. No, I mean you had some guards who who uh, despised people who were getting education, right. yeah, so they yeah, would they, build cases. They can't they can't spell education. Write me up for having two razors, but they sell two razors on the store. All right. Uh, too many pins. Like I said, Miss Andy and Mr. Wayne Cook, Dr. Wayne Cook, um, they did something great, man. They, I had participated in all these programs, and I had this, I mean, I had good time out the wise. I just couldn't get it. Mm. Well, I was completing a program that had um, 108 or 365 days on it. Uh, Miss Andy held off. I think she knew that the law, what day the law was going to take effect. She held off on submitting it, submitted it when that law changed. And so one one day I'm just going about my business. Dr. Cook calls me in his office and he says, hey, so you ready to go home? I just laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. Thank you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. He's like, well, go ahead and call somebody. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, you go home. He said, Miss Andy submitted you a good time. The law took effect. And, you know, when you're in prison, you don't really get access to know when these laws have passed, right. retroactivity, you know, all these things. So it happened, and uh, he told me to make a phone call. And I mean, I started with I was going to say, my grown man about to cry, right? <laughs> no, I did. And thank you, Jesus. My little yeah. eyes started right. watering. Hey, so I call, called my grandpa, and uh, we didn't tell my mom. We didn't tell anybody. And Gavin is eight at this point. I called my grandpa, and he zoomed straight over. So... We stopped. Well, I had to stop and get food. I uh, ate what did you get? Albasha in uh, Covington. Really? Oh, yeah, so good. I ate a combo plate, that dude. Love, it man. was amazing. We need to do that. I said, just on that. What's the first thing you, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you get out Man, I, I, dude, I was dreaming about that and fruit. Really? I don't, dude, you you get deprived of fruit for a couple of years, yeah, you want fruit. So anyways, uh, so we stopped at Albasha. Well, when I, okay, whenever they, whenever my grandpa got there, and I got up front, and they were giving me all my discharge stuff, and I heard that, and that door, I smelled so, the air. Uh, dude, I just air. started weeping like a baby, man. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it's shame in that. Got my, got my composure back. We hopped in the car, ate albasha, and then we, we had to my mom's house in, in Watson and um, knocked on that door. And uh, sh- just so happened she had Gavin at the house. Really? Yeah. And uh, – so she's, you know, boohooing. I was going to say more Gav- tears. Gavin's in the back, and he doesn't know I'm there. Right. He don't know I'm coming home. And uh, so he hears my mom, I guess, crying and commotion. He comes up, hey, can y'all keep it down out there? <laughs> so I'm standing at the, the corner of the hall, and he sees me, but it doesn't register. Right. So I see him go back in the room, and he runs back out. And he takes it's like a little movie. Oh, if I'd had a man. camera, dude, we could have made That's a million love. bucks off the scene. But he's running, jumps my arm, we're crying yeah. like babies. That's why. So uh yeah, man, that was that was uh that's oh. how I came home. That's amazing. The things like you just said, the fruit, you wouldn't realize how much you missed fruit. How about the way a woman smells? How about, <laughs> the, way, the first thing you said, free air. Free, yeah. Because I'm gonna say yeah. something. This out of prison, the air only tastes the same. No, nah, right? I don't, man. Yeah. Stale, fluorescent light. Whatever. I don't know how you could define it. I'm Taking a shit with one leg out, one leg in. I did that for months and months. I even for the first couple weeks, I was still showering with slippers on. Yeah, yeah. Same case. My yeah. mom was like, "You keep putting these wet sandals mm-hmm. on my on my rug." Right. You can take a shower without sandals. It's too soft. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. ain't got to worry about Laos or the whatever. The biggest thing <laughs> was like people coming up and and touching me. Yeah, because I'm doing right. like they, yeah, I'm, you're right. You know, right. and then I started That's having a good to point. Yeah. catch myself because I'm I'm. You you get to a, in prison. Everybody knows don't you don't go up behind people. But if you do, you know, you're just prepared attention. to be smoked in the, in the mouth. But like <laughs> I had to catch myself from like, act like I'm stretching, right. you know, right. and. uh my wife learned the hard way one time on accident. Bless her little heart. She and Gavin thought it was a great idea to to put boxing gloves on and come up behind me and hit me. I didn't know what was going right, on. Right. There was no warning. 
And all I could do, I just went back like a bull. Boom! And she went to flying. And I, dude, I felt like, I was like, oh my God. I yeah. thought I'd freaking injured her. Yeah. She was breathing. Yeah, I said, like, come here. I'm sorry. Wow. I'm sorry. I said, you can't ever come up behind me like that right. anymore, though. Right. You know? Yeah, you were acclimated. Yeah. 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 Wow. And uh, so after that, after you get out and you've got all this sign language stuff, you are the sign language expert for a lot of yeah, no, I, governmental I, entities. And- yeah. I, um, I came home and uh, I uh, so in order to get certified as a sign language interpreter, uh, you have to have a certain amount of college. So the college that I got in prison helped me to qualify to be able to take the certification test. But uh, so I, I got certified as a sign language interpreter, and uh, I worked as a freelance interpreter for. Three or four years, I was running my own, you know, interpreting uh, business for myself, contracting with different agencies, different contracts that I had. Um, and then my friend Katrina, who owns a communications consulting group uh, and, and Blue Bridge ASL Academy now, um, which is a daycare for kids, uh, birth to five. They, uh, they have deaf teachers and hearing teachers, and they bring oh, all cool. different students, teach them sign language, right. too. So. Anyways... Uh, Katrina, I'm gonna charge you for that plug. <laughs> I uh, so she approached me about running a, a contract for. Her. They had a FEMA contract after the flood in 2016, mm-hmm. and um, she put me in charge of running 20 or 30 interpreters a day, scheduling, dealing with FEMA. Da, da, da. So I did that for two years for them. And um, anyway, it's probably like 2017 midway. They offered me a staff position, and. Uh, they made me the director of business development for na- as national interpreting agency. Yeah. So I did that all the way up until last year, um, and then. Uh, but but I say all that to say the preparation that I got in prison with education, with the deaf guys, right. with the 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 um, credentials I was able to take in there, all that coupled with determination and hope like y'all talked mm-hmm. about because that's a big thing you have to have hope that you can you can make it and um you know i was able to turn that situation around and, and be successful right. you know and i and i a year and a half ago i left the interpreting field full-time uh to pursue other things i'm involved in you know real estate now and um and um investment properties and i sell roofs i right. still interpret a little bit I do a uh, contract with the Justice and Accountability Center. But all of the things that I learned in prison helped prepare me to – because I'll tell you what, I knew that an old an old guy told me this. So he's like, you got to become more marketable than anybody out there because mm-hmm. you're going to go up for interviews against uh, men and women who don't have a felony, mm-hmm. and you got to – you got to show them why you're qualified, why you're better fit for this position. Yeah. So you need to be overprepared. Right. So I, I, with that mindset, I knew I had to come home and beat everybody to the table or whatever I was doing. Yeah. That's just kind of been my mindset. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a fascinating story, right? But go back to when you were slinging and doing your thing. That was, that was your time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then God or whatever deity y'all pray to, I don't care, mine's Jesus, but uh, Jesus lets you go through those struggles, bro. Mm-hmm. You got locked down in, in for the, you know, the race charge or uh, whatever. You got sent away, but you did your time. You, you know, you rededicate your life to God and he's blessed you for it. And that's just a hell of a story. You know, this it gives me God bumps right now. They got the goosebumps and you can't make that up. Uh, it's beautiful, bro. Yeah, it, it really is. Scott. Probably, this is probably the, the most powerful interview testimony-wise that I've ever had. Absolutely. Like, and um, and that's what you're going to get out of Inmates Unshackled. Yeah. You know, uh, it are stories from actual people who spent time. And I bring that up to bring this up because uh, you've got a little podcast yourself, and it's called uh, Penitentiaries to Penthouses, the yep. P2P. I didn't, because I didn't watch the video part of it, and we were talking earlier in this. I, I actually listened to two of the episodes yeah. so far, cause I, and I don't listen to anybody's yeah. podcast, but that is fire. Yeah. That, uh, I, so 
prisons and, and the criminal mind have always fascinated me. And, and so props on that, dude. And everybody, give it a shout out. Tell, yeah. tell them where they can find you and everything. So we're on uh, all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, um, and uh, YouTube. YouTube. So on, on YouTube, it's uh, The P2P Podcast. Jim soon here is going to make it to where you can find it easier. Uh, Jim has let me know that we uh, we we suck in the area of marketing ourselves. So Jim's, yeah, yeah, Jim's about to. Take I did not put it like that. <laughs> he's a, he's a master. Nah. Though. I suck at that too. Right? No, nah, and uh, so Jim's about to, to to take the reins on the podcast. Uh, uh, season one, uh, Jim Jim was involved, but uh, not in a production standpoint. But we are glad to have him on board now, um, and. Uh, but basically, the, the the nuts and bolts of the podcast, the media does a great job of when you commit a crime, your face is going to be on the news. You're going to tell everybody how dangerous or heinous your crime is. But there's no follow up. You know, you see these people and they go away to prison, but nobody follows up when when they come out. So my my sole purpose is to give form successful formerly incarcerated people the opportunity sit down, talk about their experience, and then tell the world what they're doing today. And, and just um, as an example, like people that come on the podcast, they're business owners, they're running nonprofits, they're working for the mayor in the city of New Orleans. They, um, you know, uh, are a warden of a prison now. Right. I had a guy come on, George King, and Burl Kane is now the superintendent right, for Mississippi. the Mississippi. Right. Well, he took a lot of those lifers from the the seminary. When they come home, he put them to work over there. So a lot of them are chaplains, but George is a warden. Wow. How about that? That's crazy. (laughs) Warden George. Warden George. You know what I mean? So it's like everybody that I have on has made something of themselves. And uh, the the misnomer is that there's there's only a few of stories like that, but there's thousands. Like I'm connected to – a network of formerly incarcerated successful human beings who are trudging through life like everybody else. And I just want to give them applause and highlight yeah, their, their, yeah. their, uh, you know, their, their grit. I know the criminal mindset. All right. And you're not a criminal mindset anymore. You had right. it, you had it, had but it. you changed it. Right. There's a lot, but there are people who never get out of it and, and they don't, they let their, Time do them, and not, they don't do their time. They don't do what you did. Turn your life around. They give up. Right, right. But the, maybe not hope. Maybe they don't have anybody on the outside anymore, or the the people fell off. Whatever it may be. But that's these stories are powerful. Boy, I got the guy bumps again, and the uh, it's love. So I we're gonna hook up your yeah. uh, prison to penthouse. Penitentiaries to I'm sorry, penitentiaries. I'll get <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll give names bad. No, I know, I know. Uh, wrong anyway. So we're going to share that on everything. I'm going to share. We'll share it on Bloody and Gold. I'm going to share it on Real Life for Crime everywhere. Because uh, uh, actually, the shit is gay. Yeah, yeah it really. I really do. I shouldn't say this because I mean, I just don't listen to much shit. Right. I, I listen to my own and to yeah. hers. And then, uh, but that, I was driving. You'd sent me the link. Yep. And it's the one where you. You were involved with it. Well, they, they were filming them out of here, and I right. said, "What are you going to listen to this?" Right, right, and, right. And, and you ever heard? This is the, a slogan that I like. I didn't coin it, but I like to use it. And, you know, you went from being a dope dealer to a hope dealer. Oh, I had some. I know which one it was. I heard it was about the was it about the welding shop. Oh, that was in me. the magazine. <laughs> You want me to tell the story? Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. We've told it, but go ahead and tell it. Yeah, yeah, so, y'all, y'all you, this is the stuff you're going to get on penitentiaries to penthouse, penthouse yeah. right? All right? So, right uh, and actually, you can catch this on it's episode funny one. As but shit. that's if you want to really listen. I was to listening. I was like, yes. So I was um, in welding school, and uh, you know, I've been locked up for a long time. Right. Uh, I hadn't smelt a female's perfume in a long time. Anyways, uh, in the in, you're not allowed to have pornography in in in, in the institution well, anyways, unless you're on death row. Yeah, then you can have gay porn. Yeah, that, that was a case. I had a guy uh, actually sued the state and won it. They shook down his cell and found gay porn, and he murdered him and his lover. Murdered a little boy and left him on the Amy River. Jeez, but go ahead, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, so uh, anyways, in the welding shop, we kept, you know, shot pictures. We call them shot pictures, right. really just dirty magazine right. pictures. And anyways, you know, uh, we had a system in place. Uh, we'd look out for each other. So if the, the CO was walking around, red light, green light. Well, I missed the call. <laughs> so I started off with green light. And, uh, you know, and where I, were you? I was in my welding booth there with the right. curtains closed. Curtain I wasn't exposed. Right. Anyways, I, I, I had... On the, I had put up on the wall, you know, a couple of my favorite pictures or whatever. <laughs> He's and, choking uh, his chicken. I was like a windmill. Nowadays, they would call that a spank bank. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, anyways, I'm doing what I'm doing, and um, and I missed the call. And they said Rooftop, which is the guy that was looking out for me, had called Red Light. I guess I was just dialed in, you know, I was tuned right. in. So I missed the call. You're in the moment. Yeah. So, anyways, I I hear the curtain bow open behind me, and uh, and then all of a sudden I hear, "Boy, what are you doing?" <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head, "Please, Jesus, no, 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 no." So then, you know, without turning around and poking anybody's eyes out, right. I just kind of look behind me, and he's like, "Back up with your hands behind your back." Now, mind you, right. my my, my I hadn't yeah. I. Hadn't and trunk yet right so i'm still there so I, he they you know they're making me hurry so i'm trying to put my stuff up and it's just not working <laughs> and uh and so they put my hands behind my back and then i say hey you might not want to touch that hand yeah. he goes and he called me a name i forget what he called me right. but anyway so they walked me down the walk like i was this hardened criminal right now, well, you were. Yeah, You were a very hardened yeah. criminal. So, but like I say, I, and I and I even talked about this one time. You know, they overlook the uh, and and look. I don't have a problem with homosexuality. Not like, hey, do you? We do you? But they overlook that component in there. And guys are in relationships and they're sneaking off, screwing each other everywhere. But a heterosexual male looking at a porno magazine inside of a welding booth. <laughs> Everybody's got sex drive in them, right? Yeah. Whatever, how they do. Well, you it. locked me up for, I mean, five years. Right. right. And God. you're a young man. Yeah. Right? I'm strong like bull. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, honestly, they tried to charge me with a 21. For those yeah. who don't know what a 21 right. is, in the Louisiana Department of Correction, you get charged with a 21. It means you're like masturbating in the shower or right. in your bed or somewhere. Anyways, luckily, again, Warden Cook saved me. He come and got me out of the blocks. He, you know, right. he, he felt, I guess, my pain or whatever, and right. I didn't get in trouble. Right. But they got guys that sit in the blocks for months on twenty one charges Absolutely. like that. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, uh, that's crazy that, that that that's a huge offense like huge. that. You wouldn't think yeah. it would be that. I mean, it's like, what do you I want? I see to it if do? you were screwing somebody, but screwing yeah. yourself, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you, you got to have the release. I mean, yeah. You're a human being, that, but it is funny that they do have, you know. No sex in prison, and then the one of my favorites is the anti-rape policy. The rape, Prius, rape, 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 what, what Prius. is it? It's in the rule book. Prison rape, rape elimination. Yeah, yeah, Act. The it's bad for rape. Uh, no shit, my lawyers. But I, everything's in the book because somebody screwed up something. That's right. If it's in the rule book, somebody broke that rule at one point. Y'all, I didn't know you couldn't do that. You None got to go check it out. You know what? I'm gonna start listening to to more of it because. I actually like the content, and I, and yeah. I really like you, and, and I appreciate you coming. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you for telling your story. Yeah, uh, and you know what? The another props to you, Rod. That, that's I, I, and obviously you've done very well, and, and and you're helping other people and everything else. But you know what? I, the the it, it takes a lot to put yourself out there to tell your story. Yeah, you know, and and say, hey, you know what? I, I did all this bad bad stuff or whatever. But you know what? You're alive to tell it. Man, yep. I thank God for that because you could have got smoked back yeah. in the day. So many, or you could have died in prison so Absolutely. many times. And, uh, but you, you got balls enough to stand up and say, "Hey, you know what? That's who I was. This is who I am." And props to you, bro. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate y'all having me on. Woody Everton, that was a good one. Hey, that's that's what I'm passing. Still got the goosebumps. <laughs> so now we're gonna close the inaugural. Bloody Angola Sally Port. Peace. Peace. <laughs> I walk a straight line. 
Just ask the hill string gang. Rain. 